Welcome back to Get Outside with Kids, the podcast where we help you have more fun adventures outside with your family. Tonight, this is just Kate. Jen is off on a tropical beach somewhere, probably having a cocktail right now in Mexico on vacation. She'll be back again next week. But this week, we have a really special guest for you. And I think it's a topic that we all need to talk a little bit more about. Um, when we think about getting outside with kids, we really like to cover topics around barriers to getting outside. I think one of the barriers that I know I experienced as a new mum, and I know many other women experience as well, is pelvic floor challenges and what even is all of that. So tonight, we're really thrilled to be joined by Lacey Forsyth. Lacey is a pelvic health physiotherapist and mum to two active, almost teenage boys. She's the founder and CEO of Bump Physio & Co, a boutique physiotherapy clinic that treats clients at all ages and stages. Her team specializes in pelvic health, pregnancy and postpartum care, but also physiotherapy services for the whole family. And recently, Lacey and her team launched a new online store, Bump Goods, to increase access to quality pelvic health, pregnancy and postpartum products to take care of all of your assets. Lacey, firstly, you sound like a very busy woman and welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Kate. I'm really excited to be here. So for those people who are listening in, we do have uh, you know, a lot of mums maybe some dads, maybe some grandparents as well listening in. But for some people, I don't think they're particularly familiar with the concept. Can you just start off by telling us what is our pelvic floor and what is a pelvic floor physiotherapist? What's that all about? Absolutely. Um, so your pelvic floor is a group of muscles that sits at the bottom of your spine in between your hip bones. So it attaches to your pubic bone at the front, your tailbone at the back, and on the inside of your hip bones, uh, side to side. Typically, your pelvic floor has five functions that are, if you think about it, really integral to how we exist in our day-to-day -day life. So the first function the pelvic floor has is a sexual function, which is fairly obvious to most people. Yeah, um, got that one. Yep. yep, yep. <laughs> um, the second function of the pelvic floor is a sump pump function, and it is your pelvis is actually the site of major lymphatic exchange in your body. So it's a site where fluid passes through from the upper extremity to the lower extremity and helps everything kind of circulate. The third function and the fourth function are stability and support. They're kind of linked together. So from a stability perspective, it's involved in posture, core control, and just overall like global body positioning in the world. Support it keeps everything inside. So it holds your bowel, your bladder, your intestines, basically anything from your trunk upwards. So the fifth function of the pelvic floor is a sphincteric function. So it's involved in bowel and bladder control. So a pelvic floor physio is an orthopedic physiotherapist um, that does postgraduate training in the pelvic um, musculature. So typically in physio school, we learn about how to work with clients in the hospital and in private, private orthopedic practices. So sports-based injuries and things like that. There's very little um, training in public health in school, at least here in Canada. Um, I know overseas, there's a little bit more. So um, once a physio graduates physio school, um, you have the opportunity to take postgraduate courses in pelvic floor training. So we have the capacity to do internal vaginal and rectal assessments of the pelvic floor musculature, um, which is very unique actually to the physiotherapy profession. So with that information and knowledge and our general skill set, 
a pelvic floor physio doesn't just focus on the pelvic floor specifically. We need to assess and treat the whole body and the whole person. Um, I'm fortunate enough to work with uh, Public Health Solutions as a clinical instructor for them. So um, I get to train a lot of the pelvic PTs. Is one of the reasons why pelvic floor physio is sort of uh, a smaller profession do you think it's maybe because it just affects women? Does this women's health seems to be less of a priority in some health systems? Do you think maybe that's what's going on, or is it that it's a relatively new kind of field maybe for physio? Pelvic floor physio has actually been around for close to forty years. Okay. Um, it's just gained a lot of popularity over the last, I would say, like five to ten years um, in our profession itself. It's not something that people really thought too much about because it was considered like a socially taboo topic and area of practice and it just wasn't in high demand. Um, but now that there's been more research coming out and more people are open to having these conversations around bladder health, continence, uh, painless sex, things like that, um, it's just kind of emerging and, and kind of taking off, I feel like. To answer your question, everyone has a pelvic floor, kids have a pelvic floor, you know, older adults have a pelvic floor, people who identify as cis female and cis male, they all have pelvic floors too. And there's an emerging area of practice for trans health as well for pelvic health. So yeah, it's just an all encompassing area that's getting a lot of attention as of late. So can you tell us a little bit about when people might experience pelvic floor issues? You know, I've heard a lot about uh, when women are pregnant and after they give birth, vaginal or C-section. Is that, you know, the main time? Are there other points in life when people tend to experience pelvic floor issues or is it really kind of any time, anyone, anytime? Uh, it can really be anyone, anytime, to be honest with you. If I was to look at pelvic floor issues like over the age spectrum, typically we see kids come in with pelvic floor dysfunction who have issues having a bowel movement or constipated um, constipation is a significant area of pelvic health for kids, and it can actually have like a long lasting effect on their pelvic health. Um, diastasis recti can affect kids as well. Um, so it's something that we do see in treating the clinic. Um, there's a lot of like anxiety and like fear around bladder and bowel health in kids. And that can lead to future pelvic floor issues and dysfunction as well. I find people who are pregnant is probably one of the best times to get people interested in pelvic health because it's like a very, it's just the focus of a lot of topics and discussions because just based on like how the baby is going to exit the body. Um, it's There's just, no easy it's, way out for those babies. There's no easy no. door. <laughs> no, no. It's just like your pelvic floor becomes the focus of it. Like, how do I deliver? Like vaginal birth, cesarean, like how do I push? How do I, I don't want to tear, I, you know, all of those sorts of things. So people become more hyper aware of their pelvic floor muscles at that stage. I find if we can do more education with kids, in public health and teens specifically, I feel like we would decrease the sexualization of bodies and shift the focus in terms of like making sure that we are all aware of like the proper anatomy, proper bowel health, proper bladder care, because all of those little things would add up to a lot of really good habits later in life. Like if everybody knew how to how to poop properly, it would actually avoid. A whole bunch of okay, issues. Okay, so you're going to have to tell our listeners then how should they be doing that properly. This this is when video might actually be helpful. <laughs> um, but most people think that like when they're having a bowel movement, they need to sit down on the toilet and like hold their breath yes. and like strain to have a bowel movement. But really, 
it should be actually like a very like easy, relaxed, peaceful process. We should be in there taking our time. We should have our feet comfortably rested up on a stool so that our knees are above their hips. And we should be doing some deep breaths with some like long, forceful exhales if we're having a struggle. So I often tell clients to close their eyes and like visualize they're blowing out a hundred birthday candles instead of bearing down and straining. And that actually translates into how you should be pushing during labor. You should be taking a forceful (laughs) exhale, breathing out, not again, bearing down and straining. So if we can integrate small changes at younger ages, I think we could prevent or at least avoid a whole host of issues later. Yeah, later in life. Because these things can come back during, you know, I know of middle-aged and older women after menopause and it kind of, these issues can continue to go on. So it's not just like, oh, your past two months after having a baby, it's the end of pelvic floor, (laughs) physio or pelvic floor health for you, right? These issues can kind of go on and on. Absolutely. And I find like around like the birthing age, like when people are are pregnant and, and having babies, it's a specific set of issues. And then, you know, when they're teenagers, it's a different set of issues because they want to suck in their stomach all the time to fit into pants. <laughs> and then, which is like bad news. Um, it creates a whole host of core and breathing issues that we just spent days and days and days on programming. <laughs> and then when they become like, when they enter midlife, again, like the pelvic health issues are still there, but again, the focus is a little bit different. So, if we can provide good quality education early on, then I think people would be better set up to be able to move through these transitions without such changes, uh, like, like significant changes, I guess. Yeah. And I find some people, their bodies are really good at compensating for a prolonged period of time. And then they mm-hmm. do hit menopause. And all of a sudden, they experience vaginal dryness, and their collagen levels drop, and they get vaginal atrophy. And then all of a sudden, they're incontinent for the first time in their life, and they don't know why. And it's much harder once the muscles have started to atrophy, and there's less collagen, it's going to take them longer to rehab than if they addressed it when they were younger. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. These things, you know, they don't, it's like anything bad, it doesn't get better by ignoring it. Uh, I think, you know, one of the things that I see a lot on on uh, other Instagram accounts is women carrying babies. And, you know, there's some women and I really, I think they're amazing. They're like, I've got a toddler on the back and I've got a baby on the front and I'm hiking a mountain and I'm pulling. Sometimes they're like skiing with a, a sled behind them. You're like, wow, cool. you women are hardcore. I'm just worried, wondering about that with baby wearing though. What are the things that women should be looking out for if they're, if they're carrying a baby? Because a lot of our listeners are at that kind of age where they're carrying babies, carrying toddlers. What kind of things do you need to look out for? How would you know if you had a problem? Would it be, I'm guessing it would be exacerbated when you're wearing your baby or carrying your baby as well? It depends. Um, and it depends on the problem. So I think there's different modifications that you can use when you are baby wearing. Um, and it's something that like in a specific situation, like if you're just going out and about to the store and you're only wearing the baby for 15, 20 minutes to an hour versus like going for like a two or three hour hike in the forest. Um, I think, it, you know, you need to be aware of different things and I think you need to be able to prep a little bit differently. So 
there's differences that we need to take into account for front carries versus back carries, the fit of the carrier, making sure that the person who's doing the carrying, that their breathing mechanics are right. Um, because if you are not managing your intra-abdominal pressure or the pressure in your core system, it can exacerbate symptoms of incontinence and pelvic organ prolapse, for example. So also just making sure that your fitness level is to a specific level so that you can, you've got the endurance and your muscles can take you that length of time and, and even just baseline strength. So when you're thinking about um, hiking a mountain, baby wearing, making sure that you've done all the strength training in advance to so that your body has that level of conditioning to support it, that you've got your endurance up so that you are not going to exacerbate any symptoms. Um, so those are a couple of things that I would be looking out for. And, and, you know, always having a hiking buddy so that if you are symptomatic, you have someone to like transfer the baby onto um, so that you guys can kind of share the load. I found that a lot. I think I, I misjudged my recovery time after having each of my babies. Maybe I was slightly better second time around, but I had these giganto babies. They were huge and they grew so fast. You know, people are like, oh, my baby started to lose a little bit of weight after birth and then started to slip. My babies are like, just Thank like you. guzzling milk and they got massive. And I struggled to like, I, I tried to do the like, oh, I might go for it. But I just struggled because I wasn't, I couldn't keep up my strength with the rate at which they grew. <laughs> So I think, you know, I, I visited uh, the bump physio, I visited your your clinic in Port Moody and saw a great uh, pelvic floor physio who helped me with that after my second kid. But uh, yeah, it really hit home for me that, that every woman, woman is really different. And just because one woman is going out there and carrying their baby and hiking a mountain does not mean I could do it with mine. And if you have a jumbo baby, you need to take it much slower. <laughs> Yeah, also, <laughs> totally. And and that person who you see hiking that mountain with that jumbo baby and pulling the sled and all those things, you don't know what their symptoms are like. Mm-hmm. They could be just doing that. Like you have no idea. And I find that working with clients in that postpartum period, there's a big mental piece to it and a big psychological impact because people don't realize or society hasn't educated us that pregnancy is 10 months of, in essence, deconditioning. Mm -hmm. So as we get larger throughout our pregnancy, our muscles are less effective. They don't function as well as they should. And it's going to take a year because if it took you 10 months to get there, it's going to take you almost a year plus to get back to feeling like your old self again. And the reason behind that is based on our anatomy and based on our biology, a muscle starts to atrophy within 12 hours of not using it. Oh, that's scary. Right. And for every day of bed rest, if somebody was to be in the ICU, it's four days of recovery for one day. So if you think about those tissue healing timelines, we shouldn't have this expectation that six weeks or three months or even six months later, we're going to be back to our old self because fundamentally our biological makeup isn't, it's, 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 that's just superhuman. Mm-hmm. For us, we need to look at our tissue healing timelines and be able to gauge our progress from there. But I think the expectation of like bouncing back and, you know, I'm not pregnant anymore. So like, why can't I do all these things that I used to be able to do before I was pregnant? It's that missing piece, I think, for a lot of people. And I find like around that three to six month window can be very frustrating and very disheartening uh, for clients because 
it's far enough away from the birth that it doesn't seem so imminent anymore, but they just, they're still really struggling because they still can't do what they were able to do. So looking at things from an orthopedic or an MSK perspective, we have protocols and tissue healing timelines for every knee surgery, ankle surgery, shoulder surgery under the sun that lays out like week by week rehab and expectations up to two years for some of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yet there's nothing to guide birthing people after either a vaginal delivery or a cesarean. It's Isn't like, oh, six wild. weeks, you're fine. Yeah, oh, no. that's six weeks, you should be fine. You should go for a run. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, 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 no. The British Journal of Sports Medicine did a study over COVID and they don't recommend any sort of high intensity exercise, including running until at least three months postpartum. And you need to be able to clear a strength training test um, before you sh- you can even just start running. I had a knee reconstruction in my early 20s. And yeah, I had nine months of rehab with it and it was very structured. <laughs> and then I had a baby and there's nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. Um, maybe you can go over a little bit for us, Lacey, the symptoms that would let a, a woman or, or anybody know that they had a problem um, with their pelvic floor. Our society sometimes makes us try to think that it's normal. Some of these symptoms like, oh, you peed a bit when you laughed. Huh? You coughed and you peed your pet. Huh? That's just how life is after having babies. Can you tell us about the symptoms that would help you know if you have a problem um, that could potentially be helped by pelvic floor physio? Sure. I feel like I need a half an hour to list all the symptoms, but I will try and <laughs> keep it short and sweet. Um, so incontinence of any kind, even a drop of leakage of urine or stool is considered incontinence. Um, and it's not normal. Uh, any feelings of heaviness or pressure or something falling out of your vagina or rectum, again, can be common after childbirth, but not normal. Um, hemorrhoids are a sign of pelvic floor dysfunction. Difficulty uh, passing a bowel movement, if it's too loose or too hard, can be pelvic floor related. Uh, pain with intercourse is another one that everyone always thinks that it's going to be painful and it's just acceptable to be painful the first few times after they have a baby. It's absolutely not, again, common, but there's definitely something that can be done um, in order to ease that. Um, Any sort of abdominal coning or doming of the abdomen, core weakness, low back pain, hip pain, SI pain, foot pain even actually can be related to the pelvic floor. Yeah, anything within that like trunk space are kind of the big ones. Mm -hmm. And then there's obviously lots of like medical diagnoses and conditions that kind of come along with like pelvic floor. Um, issues and dysfunctions as well. I've heard from somebody, and I think, you know, a lot of women maybe experience this, that there's a lot, there's a really strong connection between emotions and emotional tension and anxiety and the pelvic floor. Can you kind of explain what that means? And like somebody was sort of describing it as like, we hold emotion in our pelvic floor. Have you heard that? What does that mean? Um, and and how can we prevent holding emotion in our pelvic floor? It sounds horrible. That's a great question, actually. The research in public health in correlation to like anxiety and depression, 75% of individuals who have been diagnosed with anxiety have a hypertonic pelvic floor. And oftentimes that comes from their nervous system being in a state of fight or flight. Wow, 75%. Wow. So when our nervous system is very upregulated, and moms in particular have a tendency to be very overstimulated, very upregulated, on high alert all the time, because there's 10,000 things going on in our peripheral visions, we need to make sure everybody's okay, we've got our long to-do lists, and we often don't give ourselves permission to just 
sit down and take a breath. When our nervous system gets like this, it causes our muscles to hold tension globally. So clinically, we find that anyone with stress in particular, like when we're really stressed out or we're really emotional, we have a tendency to hold tension in our jaws and in our necks and shoulders and in our pelvic floor. So oftentimes working with clients to get them to be aware of that connection, we'll do some just body awareness and a body scan to see where they're holding tension that day to just kind of let it go. So and also anyone who like grinds their teeth or wears a mouth guard at night, um, oftentimes they are holding a lot of stress, attention just globally. And again, we'll often almost always have a tight pelvic floor, hypertonic pelvic floor. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a really full on statistic. <laughs> it's a lot of people and more more people have like a ten- hold tension in their pelvic floors than have a weak pelvic floor. Mm. Um, but the tension can still present as like similar symptoms that somebody would associate with like weakness. So like, even if your muscles are hypertonic or tight or tense, you can still leak. If your muscles are mm-hmm. tight, tense, hypertonic, you can still have prolapse. Um, so just because you're clenching doesn't mean that you're scot-free and out of the woods. It can often cause more issues. So Lacey, when people go to pelvic floor physio for the first time, speaking from my own experience here, I went to another physio that was not bump physio after my first baby and had not a great experience. And it's a very vulnerable position to be in. <laughs> Very vulnerable. So, um, and then after my second baby, I switched and I came to bump and had a great experience. Um, But I realized through that how full on I'd found that first time round and how it's quite overwhelming. How does somebody prepare for their first pelvic health physio visit? And uh, what should they kind of expect? Because it is it is a little intimidating when you get in there and you get sort of described what might ha- be happening. It, obviously, I found like huge value from it. Your clients would as well. But that initial stage of like what to expect, what would you tell a, a potential client? I can only speak from how we run things at Bump and like how we approach a pelvic floor visit from from our clinical perspective. Um, I often suggest to clients to talk to their friends to see if anybody has seen somebody at our clinic before or anyone who has seen a pelvic PT, just to see what their experience was in advance so they have a kind of idea of what might happen, the questions that we might ask just so that they're um, aware. And we, our clinic sends out a whole bunch of handouts in advance of like, this is what to expect. Um, this is what we might do. These are the questions that we are going to ask you. Like our intake forms are very detailed and some people love them. Some people we do get some um, constructive feedback on um, just because <laughs> they're very they're very in-depth and, and some of the questions are very intimate. But when we are working in the pelvic floor, um, all of the questions on there are actually really important for us to know the answers to so that we can best help the clients when they're coming in. If you're not, obviously not comfortable answering some of the questions, just let us know and we'll avoid that topic. Um, so I think from our perspective, we try and prepare clients as best as we can before they even come in the front door. Um, the clinic itself is actually modeled after my home. Um, it's similar paint color to my house. It was the doors that I used when I renovated my house. I focused really on like soft colors and textures and very homey touches like plants, just so that somebody is, doesn't feel like they're walking into a clinical environment and they're walking into a space that 
feels warm and safe to them. So those are sort of some of the things that you could expect when you come to our clinic. Each team member will sit down, go through what to expect for the assessment, provide you privacy when you're changing, give you full control and consent over the appointment. If there's something that happens that you are feeling emotional, overwhelmed, or uncomfortable with, you have we fully disclose that you have the utmost control to stop the assessment at any point. So when someone's coming in, you can expect to either have a vaginal assessment, a rectal assessment, both or none. It just kind of depends on what your symptoms are presenting with that day and what you're actually comfortable with. So those are are things that we kind of just discuss on on an individual basis with each client. We do have real-time ultrasound in clinic as well. So if a client cannot either have an internal exam for some reason or is really uncomfortable with the idea or a pediatric client, for example, we do have alternative ways of assessing the pelvic floor too. It makes me feel so like comforted thinking about that clinic because I, I can picture what you're describing and how it made you feel comfortable. Yeah. And, you know, if you have, if you're listening and you've had an experience more like what I described from after my first baby, where I felt very uncomfortable, very vulnerable, uh, very unwelcome in the setting that I was in, um, it doesn't have to be like that and it might be the wrong physio for you. I think that's what I recognized as well. This is something that's so crucial to our overall health and, you know, how we show up for our kids and how we can get outside with our kids, that it's important to find the right fit for you and to find the person who can really help you work through those issues. So thank you for putting all that effort into your clinic. It definitely pays off and I can I'm picturing what you're describing. I had a question here, Lacey, which actually came from my mum. She was interested. She heard this rumour that said something that women uh, shouldn't be doing exercises like crunches and sit-ups because they put negative pressure in the abdomen. Is that right? Has my mum heard this rumour? Is uh, is there any truth to that? And if so, what is it? I'm sorry to your mama, but it's wrong. Oh, mum. Crunches are fine. There is no exercise. I, I think crunches get a bad rap. Okay. Um, I'll just put that out there. Um, there is no exercise that is off limits uh, for anyone. Okay. The problem is, is people are doing the exercises before they are strong enough to do so. Right. They haven't built up to being able to do a crunch without causing any sort of abdominal issues. So when we look at assessing a crunch, for example, we look at the quality of muscle contraction in somebody's abdominal wall. Are they engaging their internal core versus the external core? Are they grouping through their side muscles? When they're doing that forward flexion movement, are they causing any of abdominal doming or coning? So if somebody can contract their pelvic floor, engage their outer abdominal wall, forward flex, and everything is drawing in nice and tight, a crunch is perfectly appropriate. And recognizing like moms need to be able to like twist, rotate, flex, crunch. (laughs) Like it's a very functional movement. Right. But there's ways to build up to doing it so that you're not going to cause further stretching of your abdominal connective tissue or increase your intra-abdominal pressure, not decrease it. That would then put pressure, more pressure on your pelvic floor, which that could then exacerbate symptoms like of incontinence okay. or prolapse um, primarily. Yeah. So there's no exercise that's off limits. It's just what your body's capable of in that moment and how can we get you there safely. Okay. Um, another rumor that I hear around pelvic health is that in France, women get six 
appointments with a pelvic health physio after birth uh, for everybody. Is that true? Why don't we have that in Canada? It was true up until a few months ago. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They changed their model. Um, oh, that's Yeah, for years and years and years, women in France got visits in pregnancy as well as up to six to 12 visits for some postpartum after every baby. And I actually, I was chatting with a public health colleague about two weeks ago about this, and she actually let me know that they just recently changed it and that they're no longer offering pregnancy and postpartum care anymore um, provided by the country or like their their medical system so i don't know why it's a phenomenal model to follow from my experience with my friends who've given birth the default should be go and visit a pelvic health physio even if you're not sure if there's an issue because they can always help you with something (laughs) after you've had a baby that's my experience anyway (laughs) Uh yep i yeah i don't think i've met a client who i'm like there's nothing like there's always (laughs) something it might not be huge issues um but for some of them it's significant enough that it's impacting their daily life like Mm -hmm. i want my clients to be able to lift what they want to lift and hike the distance that they want to hike and be able to swim and and do all of the activities that they love and and when you're incontinent or you can't control your bowels because you had a really bad tear during delivery you know it keeps people in their house and it and and it impacts their their life so significantly so it has it has a capacity to change people's to change people's lives which is one of the reasons why I went into this area of practice um because just the impact that you have don't get me wrong. I love treating sprained ankles and all the other sports injuries, but it's not the same gratification when you have a client who's never been able to have sex come back to see you to let you know that they're pregnant. Like it's pretty amazing. Like it gives you goosebumps. So that to me is so incredibly rewarding to know that you've given somebody the capacity to be able to have a family. Wow. If this isn't an advertisement to go and see a pelvic health physio, I'm not sure what is. Um, Thank you so much, Lacey, for joining us and for all your tips in here. I know that this is a really important topic and it's not something you see splashed across Instagram. It's not something that women talk about enough. And I think um, particularly for the, the, in the context of our show of getting outside with kids, the context we're talking about is often a lot of women who have given birth, but it can be anybody, as you say, can be your own kids as well and making sure that we're setting them up for healthy habits as well. If people want to know more, Lacey, um, they want to follow you, find you online or learn more about Bump Physio, where can they find you? So I do some public health education um, and share a little bit about my personal life on my own Instagram page. Uh, It's called Bump Physio Mom. If you'd like to follow the clinic and learn a little bit more about the Bump team, uh, you can follow us at bumpphysio.co. And then if you're interested in any of the products um, that we uh, small local businesses that we support for pelvic health, pregnancy, and postpartum goods. You can find us at Bump Goods on Instagram as well. Um, our website has a ton of resources and information on there in regards to uh, physiotherapy services for pregnancy, postpartum, and general pelvic health services. And you can find us at www.bump physioco.ca. Thank you so much, Lacey. And thank you for everything that you and your team has done. I have recommended Bump to like every mother that I know in the area and I'll continue to do so. Um, If you're in a different area though, uh, you can always find pelvic health physiotherapists around in your area. And as Lacey says, they're bound to find something that they can help you with. (laughs) 
Um, if you've liked this episode, we'd love if you share it with a friend. We'd also love to hear from you over on Instagram. You can find us at Get Outside With Kids and me and Jen back from her Mexican vacation, probably feeling all suntanned and happy and relaxed. Uh, we will be back again next week with another episode of Get Outside With Kids. 